This Rarecast is made possible by Global Genes, a leading education and advocacy organization that serves and promotes the needs of patients and families touched by rare and genetic disease. Since 2009, Global Genes has been building awareness, developing patient-focused education and advocacy tools, and funding patient care programs and critical research. To learn more, go to globalgenes.org. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. Prader-Willi syndrome is a rare genetic disease with many effects, but it's characterized by an insatiable drive to eat that leads to overeating and obesity. Salino Therapeutics is in late-stage clinical testing of a treatment for the intense hunger and overeating in patients with Prader-Willi. We spoke to Anish Batnagar, CEO of Salino, about its experimental therapy, how it works, and why it may have application and a broader range of indications. Anish, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Daddy. Nice to be here. We're going to talk about Prader-Willi syndrome, Salino, and its late-stage experimental therapy to treat appetite and eating in patients with this rare condition. Let's start with Prader-Willi. For listeners not familiar with the condition, can you explain what it is, how it manifests itself, and What's the progression for patients? Sure. So Prader-Willi syndrome is a genetic disease, although it's uh, mostly by chance and it's not typically inherited. Most cases are not inherited. It's a disorder on chromosome 15. So it's one of the situations where a certain part of chromosome 15 is either deleted or uh, both the chromosome 15s come from the single parent, which happens to be the mother in this case, or in a very small percentage of cases, there's a small genetic mutation in a specific region. So because of this, uh, Prader-Willi syndrome occurs, and it's typically described as a genetic obesity. And uh, it is mostly true, but less, a little less so today. When these patients are born, for example, the reason they're diagnosed today is that they have very low muscle tone and they're poor feeders. And low muscle tone to the extent that you pick them up in, in your hand and they kind of drape over on both sides. So that will lead uh, the physician to go through a series of diagnostic tests to figure out why this is. Typically in a place like the U.S., within the first few days to weeks of life, there will be a genetic test identifying the baby as having Prader-Willi syndrome. Now, once that is diagnosed, there's not much that can be done for these children. Uh, parents are told to get ready for life with a child with Prader-Willi syndrome. As these children grow older, really the only therapy that's approved for them is growth hormone. So they are all growth hormone deficient, and once they get growth hormone, at least the growth parameters are normalized. Although growth hormone does not affect some of the key characteristics of the disease, which start to manifest around two to four years of age, more likely around four. 
And what you see is that uh, these children will start to show more interest in food. They'll they'll ask about food a lot. They'll obsess about food. And uh, they start to develop what's called hyperphagia or an insatiable desire. Can you explain what hyperphagia is and how intense this can be in Prader-Willi patients? Yes, of course. So hyperphagia or an insatiable desire to eat, think of it as uh, in contrast to uh, another individual who does not have PWS where your brain at some point will tell you you've eaten enough and you stop eating because you're satiated. In the case of Prader-Willi syndrome, that feeling does not happen. The brain is always telling you you're starving regardless of how much you've eaten. And the way this manifests is not only in an increased obsession with food where the patient will keep asking about food and when am I going to eat the next meal, do you have enough, what am I going to eat, etc. But they will also not be able to stop eating when they start. It's not atypical for the patients to have more than one breakfast, more than one lunch, etc. It's not unusual for them to eat a full meal and then eat a full meal again. Uh, it is not unknown for them to have very significant uh, cardiometabolic problems and obesity because of this. And it's possible that uh, a number of deaths in patients with Prader-Willi syndrome are because of simply eating too much. So they are not able to stop and can even lead to situations like necrosis of the stomach. Uh, it at some point doesn't even matter what it is that they are trying to eat. There have been cases of uh, trying to eat materials that are not fit for human consumption. The only way hyperphagia is managed today is by controlling access to food. So in these families, you will see locked refrigerators, locked pantries, things like that. So this is not your run-of-the-mill feeling very hungry. This is very different, and that's what constitutes hyperphagia. How is appetite normally regulated? Sure. Appetite is normally regulated by a part of the brain called the hypothalamus. So there are some neurons, nerve cells in there that secrete uh, substances that either increase or decrease appetite. In the case of Prader-Willi syndrome, because of a specific deletion on chromosome 15, some of these neurons are overexpressed and they lead to the oversecretion of this peptide. And that is what appears to drive hyperphagia. Um, again, so it's driven centrally by the brain, and uh, it manifests peripherally as uh, this increased desire to eat. You're developing a time-released version of diazoxide, a, a drug that's been used in rare conditions. What is diazoxide, and, and how has it been used to date? Diazoxide is a uh, substance which was first approved a very long time ago in the mid-70s as an intravenous drug to treat hypertension. Uh, with better drugs being available, it's been discontinued in that formulation for a long time. What's available in the U.S. today is a liquid suspension, which is administered two to three times a day, to treat one type of rare condition only and that's hyperinsulinism, which is an over-secretion of insulin. So that happens in very rare cases in infants as a congenital problem. It's called CHI or congenital hyperinsulinism. And there's also a very rare tumor that can be seen in adults. It's called an insulinoma. It's a type of tumor of the pancreas which over-secretes insulin. 
So dioxide has the ability to stop the secretion of insulin by working on those cells in a, on a temporary basis. So it's used multiple times a day. That suspension, that formulation actually has many challenges, which make it mostly unsuitable for use in a, in a situation like Prader-Willi syndrome. So what we have developed is a once-a-day tablet formulation of a different salt of disoxide. So it's a choline salt of disoxide. It's called disoxide choline controlled release. And uh, think of it as a tablet that you take once a day, and it gives out a small amount of disoxide choline over the course of the entire day. This is in contrast to the oral suspension, which needs to be given multiple times a day, and has a PK profile such that there's a sudden absorption of the drug, there's a high peak, there's a likelihood for more side effects, and there's a need for dosing multiple times a day. And then this oral suspension also has a long, bitter aftertaste, which makes it very hard to be compliant with it. So what we are working on is, A, a different drug, and B, a different formulation of a parent molecule that's well understood. Why is this thought that it might benefit patients with Prader-Willi? So it appears to have central as well as peripheral effects. And when I say central, I mean on the brain, and peripheral, I mean on things like fat cells, for example, and the liver. Uh, it appears to work on these neurons that secrete the peptide that increases appetite, and it appears to normalize the secretion of that. And uh, this is based on a lot of published data in animal models, which leads us to believe that once it crosses the blood-brain barrier, it is acting on these neurons to decrease the secretion of this peptide. It's called the NPY peptide. But at the same time, the channels, the potassium channels that it acts on, also are seen in other tissues, such as on fat cells, on liver cells, etc. And what we see, along with the decrease in appetite in the early study that we did, was an improvement in the level of lipids, like triglycerides, cholesterol, etc., and also a decrease in body fat. So there seems to be a combination of central and peripheral effects, which makes it uh, an unusually interesting combination of effects for Prader-Willi syndrome patients. Are there other potential indications you might pursue? You think of just the effects that I described, for example, improving the lipid profile, uh, so decreasing triglycerides, decreasing LDL cholesterol, total cholesterol, and increasing HDL is a pretty desirable outcome in a number of situations. Decreasing body fat and a corresponding decrease in waist circumference is also a very uh, interesting outcome in a number of situations. There are uh, other diseases where a combination of these effects occur. So, for example, uh, fatty liver disease. Think of other uh, NPY-associated obesity syndromes. Those are possible. And then even in the hyperinsulinism population, there is a need for a better formulation of the drug that's being used today. So there are a number of other indications where it could be useful, although for now our work is focused on Prader-Willi syndrome patients. What have the clinical studies shown to date? Clinical studies to date have been in normal volunteers. They have been in patients who have obesity, patients who have triglycerides, very high triglycerides, and patients with Prader-Willi syndrome. And uh, they all seem to show an effect on the parameters that are critical to PWS. So, as I said, a decrease in hyperphagia, 
a decrease in fat mass, a corresponding increase in lean body or muscle mass, uh, an improvement in lipid profiles, a decrease in waist circumference. So all of these uh, changes have been seen in the early phase studies, and what we are doing right now is the late phase or a phase three study, which is taking a more comprehensive look at these in a larger number of patients uh, with the hope of showing the same effectiveness but in a larger population in a placebo-controlled environment. And forgive me if this is a, a stupid question, but is there any problem treating this condition with an oral medication? Does taking uh, an oral medicine somehow risk stimulating the cycle of appetite and eating in a, a patient with Prader-Willi? Um, not really. Their, their drive is driven by the brain and formatting the brain. So it's not really an effect that is a peripheral effect in the way that you're describing. So their brain is already telling them that they are starving. And uh, providing them with a tablet, for example, will not change that paradigm in any meaningful way. Uh, we have seen this, as I said, in uh, a small study in PWS patients, and uh, there was no there was no indication that that were to be the case. And certainly, I don't believe there is a rationale for that either. What's the path forward, and, and what will it take to get a marketing approval? So the most important thing is the study that's currently being conducted. It's a three-month, randomized, double-blind, placebo-controlled study in about 100 patients with PWS. So we're looking at the key parameter of hyperphagia as the primary endpoint in this. So we have to show a difference in hyperphagia. But we're also looking at the various other things that we just talked about as secondary endpoints. So if this study is positive, we believe that we should be able to take the, the data from the study and discuss uh, the possibility of filing for approval with the FDA. And that is in combination with a long-term safety extension study that we'll be doing. So all patients who are uh, randomized into the three-month study, once they complete, have the ability to roll into a safety study for the next nine months. So a combination of those data, if they are positive, uh, we believe should form the basis for filing with the FDA. And are you fully enrolled at this point? We are not. We started enrolling uh, late in the summer, um, actually around the end of May, and uh, we are currently enrolling the study, and uh, we hope to have data next year. Is there a pipeline behind DCCR? So as a company, we are focused on DCCR as the primary drug that we are working on and PWS as the primary program that we are working on. Our pipeline really thinks, of, we really think of our pipeline as other indications for DCCR. So the the indication that I described to you a few minutes ago would form the basis for our thoughts on next steps in DCCR. What's the plan for commercialization? Will Salino build a, a commercial team or will it seek a partner or sell the drug? So at this point, we have uh, kept our options open, um, although as you can imagine, for a rare disease and a population like PWS where patients are seen at very specific centers, it is a sort of uh, indication where a small company could market the product on their own. So at this point, we've kept our options open. Uh, we are focused on getting this trial done, and if and when the data are positive, we'll make the decision on whether to commercialize ourselves. 
I suspect if the data are as positive as we hope they will be, then there will be many others interested as well. So we will have the choice. Anish Patnagar, CEO of Selino Therapeutics. Anish, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you, Danny. Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org. You can subscribe to the Rarecast RSS feed through raredaily.org or through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast manager. The Rarecast is produced for Global Genes by the Levine Media Group. You can also find our podcast, The Bio Report, on these popular podcast sites. Our theme music is composed by Jonah Levine and performed by the Jonah Levine Collective. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note at danny at levinemediagroup.com.